Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. We are joined by Dominic Iacobucci and Patrick Donnelly, workplace client leaders and shareholders at BHDP, to speak regarding the second BHDP Trends and Tensions virtual roundtable on the resilient workplace. This episode summarizes the strategy, insights, participants, and some key discoveries of our roundtable looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the future of workplace. I am your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves. Thanks, Brian. I'm Dominic Iacovici. I'm an architect and workplace strategist at BHDP and a partner. Great. And Patrick? And I'm Patrick Donnelly. I'm a principal at BHDP. I am responsible for workplace strategic design and strategy, and uh, happy to be here. Thanks, Brian. Thank you very much, both of you. So we are here to talk about the workplace roundtable that we've done recently, and I want to get a little more context around what is the roundtable, what was the intent? This is part of a series of roundtables we call the Resilient Workplace. So this was initiated, Brian, with a podcast with you and Trusesco and Dominic immediately upon realizing that much would change in the workplace because of COVID-19 and because of this massive experiment that the world of work is in working remotely. That was followed by a roundtable where we initiated a conversation on the topic, then followed by this roundtable, which took the place of an in-person roundtable for our workplace community. We took that slot and expanded it to have a continuing conversation with knowledge community and invitees and folks that just simply wanted to join in the conversation. The contents of the roundtable and the idea was how do you bring a bunch of people together from diverse industries and backgrounds and allow them just to talk and learn from each other. So we set the roundtable up in a morning session and afternoon session, both two hours, uh, designed around two different exercises, and we just set people up in small groups and let them dialogue. We ended up having over 62 attendees from 44 companies, and they got within that two-hour time slot the ability to discuss and hear from under other industries for 95% of the time, which was pretty awesome. I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. It was an interesting concept to do virtually. What were some of the flavors of the market that were represented, Dominic? So interestingly, Brian, I kind of did some did a takeoff on this because you always kind of look at it and you're like, ah, we, we, do we have as much diverse representation as we think we do? We had over 20 industries represented from those 62 companies. Everything from healthcare and energy to food and beverage, pharma, biotech, government, apparel, chemical, automotive, companies representing video gaming, software design, medical supply, finance, insurance, telecommunications, and I know I'm missing some. We had a great representation of companies that have been around for a very long time and are kind of the cornerstones of our Fortune 500 in our economy, as well as new forward-looking innovation companies that are just in their infancy. I'm curious, though, that is a large response and a lot of diversity. What do you think the appetite was to participate in an event like this? Brian, I, I think part of this is the nature of the Trends and Tensions workplace community at BHDP. It's a magnet for people to have conversations with 
other senior leaders in corporate real estate and now expanding into other disciplines like HR and IT where they can talk to each other. You know, I think for a long time, we found our clients wanting to talk to each other, benchmark themselves against each other. But in terms of this conversation, because we're all wrestling with the paradigm shift in the way work is done, not just today, but it will be forever changed relative to us all learning these new technologies and our ability to adapt to new ways of working, wanting to wrestle with this together and hear others' perspective. I also think there was a bit of momentum because we had had several other conversations within the community coming up to this particular roundtable. Yeah, Brian, like the market was oversaturated and is still oversaturated with a lot of different content that will talk to you and talk at you and tell you what to do. But we gave a very unique opportunity for people to be part of the conversation and talk with people. Yeah, I personally have attended some roundtables that were listened to us so we can show you why we're the expert. And uh, this one felt largely conversational. And to that point, what was the structure of this virtual roundtable? Yeah, so I'll start this, Patrick. As I mentioned before, we set this up as a morning session and an afternoon. And within that, we had two breakouts. And each breakout was looking at a different set of topics or conversation. The first breakout was a solutioning type session where we set up five different topics that people have been talking about and put people in groups to dive deeper into that topic of interest. One was based off of decision-making based off of people or financials. Another was resilience, change leadership and alignment, operational success for office reopening. And then the fifth was really a wild card catch-all. And I think what was great is prior to the roundtable, folks were asked to choose. So we had an idea of what topics would be popular, shifted folks around and created the breakouts in Zoom so that they could talk about the topic they were most interested in. That session was followed by an exercise designed for scenario planning. So utilizing what we call an imagine, a series of imagined narratives of possible futures. There were five narratives. What is a healthy and safe work environment when it's most paramount? Our focus, what happens if there's no assigned seats? And it's vastly different than where we were before the pandemic. Everyone works remotely, a narrative around a central workplace actually being gone and everyone stays remote. Another borrowing from Shakespeare's The Tempest, what's past is prologue, the thought that we'll need to go back to high cubicles and enclosed offices to isolate folks because of social distancing. And then workplace is a cultural cafe. So what happens when you do need a place to catch the culture because everybody's so remote? Lots of great conversations stemmed from those topics. We had about 40 minutes to to discuss that piece of each of the two sessions. And then I'll add, Dominic, that each of these two pieces, both in the morning and the afternoon, we had four speakers join us from different industries, from consumer products, from the government sector, from the technology sector, mainline industries, and new growth industries, and talking about their thinking relative to both the topics and the narratives for the scenario planning from their personal perspective and from their company's perspective. And then Patrick, a real quick add on the scenario planning that I thought was super interesting. We found that a lot of the attendees picked topics based off of what they thought the future might be, as well as some picked it based off of the, the things that scared the heck out of them. 
um, which, yeah. which was the Tempest one and going back to closed offices <laughs> and high cubicles and people were going there just to be like, I don't want to go back there. I had the good fortune of, of being the facilitator for those scenario planning sessions on past his prologue. And not all, but the vast majority of folks that joined that topic were joining because they're like, oh, we can't go back there. Though it's logical, right, that pre-vaccine and with social distancing being the priority, that we're going to be stacking up panels and keeping people isolated. And they're all wondering, well, then why would I go back to the workplace yeah. if I can do just that at home? So it was right. fun to facilitate that and then work through their fears together. It's uh, part of the magic of a roundtable, I think. So the structure was there was a speaker, then we went into a solutioning exercise, another speaker, and then we went into scenario planning. So let's talk about solutioning first, because it was nice to hear the speakers and get some context about here's what we're doing in our industry for a little bit, and then go into the topics. But what were some of the key findings or the big ideas that came out of solutioning? Yeah, so some of the big things that came out of solutioning was this full conversation about uh, when do we return, why do we return, and what does return look like? What we heard from multiple companies is they're not trying to rush to return. They're considering all the possibilities, and they're trying to do it in a very smart way. And with that, they're considering their employees' psychological safety, what their employees are thinking about, how their employees are feeling versus just tactically approaching it from a number of people, a square footage, a density, a where desks, an operational standpoint. With that, they're also trying to stay resilient and trying to stay flexible. They're trying to consider all of the possibilities that may happen and how do they approach them when they occur, if they occur. And they acknowledge that perspectives within their company and within their organizations are constantly changing. So in the past, work from home never would have been a consideration for a lot of companies. Now they're considering it as a temporary solution and potentially a long-term solution for their organizations. The reality of that conversation is it's very dynamic and different based off of every individual organization. And then kind of the overall thing, which I've kind of alluded to, is just avoiding that knee-jerk reaction and ensuring that whatever happens short-term, long-term, middle term is done in a way that helps embody the purpose and mission and vision of the company, as well as helps to make the employees as successful as possible. This idea that frequent and transparent communication from leadership is valuable. And I think many organizations, including our own, talked about the extent to which we've increased communication. Many people actually feeling more connected to the mission of the organization because they've doubled or quadrupled communications because we're trying to navigate or steer through this. And I also think what came out of those topics was this idea of choice and creating a feedback loop, the importance of listening. How do we listen? And then how do we adjust? How iterative this conversation, literally conversations going to be with our workforce so that we provide the right choices for them, but also make it okay. If I don't feel safe coming back, make it okay that I'm remote and figure out how the culture needs to adjust. And Patrick, you bring up two very interesting things, that leadership concept and recognizing that however the leaders behave is going to impact the company. So for that instance, there's some companies that are saying very specifically, they want their leaders to be some of the first ones in the office. 
so that they can demonstrate that the office is safe. But then there's companies on the other end of the spectrum that are saying, we very specifically don't want our leaders in the office because we want our employees to understand that culturally it's okay to not want to be in the office and work from home to deal with whatever your personal situation may be. Now with that, the other thing that I found intriguing is that some companies and leaders are seeking feedback from employees as they make these strategic decisions, others are, are not. And it's impacting corporate real estate teams differently because some corporate real estate teams are getting leadership input and leadership strategy and leadership goals to help make their decisions, while other corporate real estate teams are kind of being told, hey, you and the facilities, you decide what you think is right and just go do it, which is, I guess, some of the beauty of seeing such a diverse group of companies in the organization just see all the spectrum of what's happening in the world. It's interesting that two of the, the key things that came out of the solutioning were that perspectives are changing, you know, because we've been able to shift some of these, the thought that you can't work from home, suddenly operations are doing it to some degree of success, and then directly opposed to that, avoiding the knee-jerk reaction. So working from home was we have to do something immediately. And now suddenly we're seeing, well, wait, here's a, a concept that we've challenged before that we thought couldn't be done, that can be done. And I thought it was interesting that some of the conversation was like, what other opportunities are there out there for things that we said we can't do that we could challenge now? And maybe it's not a knee-jerk reaction, but you know, what other perspectives could be challenged? Brian, I think that's a great point that you make. And reflecting on this after the roundtable, and maybe a good segue into the scenario planning aspect, we're seeing where, of course, you're going to have a smaller population come back to the workplace. And in many cases, as we looked at our research and the trends in the industry, you know, the corporate footprint, the workplace footprint across all organizations was already underutilized. So the idea that you would have a, a more sparse or lightly populated workplace is not hard to imagine or conceive. So creating that social distancing probably won't be an issue, at least initially. And we're wondering if the population coming back to the workplace is going to be smaller long-term because people have adopted new behaviors that enables them to be more distributed. In fact, not using as much space within the corporate footprint. You know, that being said, I think the idea that individual workplaces that are spread out with costly investment by the corporation is gonna change workplace strategy. And that's part of this undefined future that came out of the scenario planning exercises. I think the reduction of that footprint and then rethinking what those central locations look like, feel like, behave like, may be very different than a sea of cubicles, may in fact be a place like in our workplace as a cultural cafe narrative, a place where you catch the culture, you bring in new employees, you help them learn the ways of the organization and build trust so that they too can work effectively in the remote environment using the tools that we're even now daily refining and getting used to. I think there's gonna be additional responsibility placed on obviously the workforce as well as maintenance to clean and remain distance, you know, a different kind of uh, behavior. And one of the things I think we'll see is workplaces being cleaned during the day so that employees can see that activity going on and that we'll be giving or even asking folks to bring in 
their personal devices, their masks or whatever, so that they can control their immediate environment, uh, help build that psychological safety that Dominic was talking about. Maybe the workplace changes to a hub-like environment, you know, that emphasizes more collaboration. Individual work happens at home or heads down work happens at home, where you can be more deliberate in terms of where and how you have conversations and doesn't disrupt your own thinking. The work needs to go on no matter what, and we've learned that. So unassigned flex seating, activity-based work settings, working from home, those are all going to be choices that people can make. But here's what I'm finding is that we've asked a lot of people, especially families with children at home during this crisis, to balance so many things. And it reminds me of what a friend of mine once said uh, when we were talking about work-life balance. Uh, He was a parish priest here in Cincinnati. And he said, I'm not sure about work-life balance because in, in my line of work, I just have one life. And I think a lot of folks are getting a taste for that that we all just have one life. And we as corporations and organizations need to provide more freedom for people to integrate work and home. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see how and where and if that idea lives on as we begin to return to proximity and being in a more social setting for work. Dominic, did you wanna add to that? Or I saw you had some other things that you were concerned with that I know we wanna talk about What's on your mind right now? Companies can make decisions about their future and about how they're going to operate. The question is, are they empathetic to the situations that their people are going through? And the one that's going to be the universal pain point of schools. I mean, there's also people dealing with things with their parents and other health care So many different things that people deal with every day, right? But... The question is, what are companies going to do and what, how are they going to operate? I mean, there's some companies out there that are still talking about, hey, you need to be in the office. Okay, if I need to be in the office, but the school is only open one or two days a week, what do I do with my children the other three days of the week? There's a lot of people out there that are high talent for their organizations that are going to be dealing with life issues that if the company creates opportunity and flexibility and tools, they're going to have the talent stick with them. If they don't, the economy will get better, and those people will make decisions. We're all going to continue balancing, Brian, in ways that we hadn't anticipated. And I think corporations, companies large and small, I think are learning uh, the need to balance the issues that the workforce are facing, not just at work, but the entirety of their life. And I think many people that I've talked to in association with the roundtable uh, have said those that care and those that listen and those who have empathy for their workforce, we see that becoming more and more important. And those organizations are gonna win. They're gonna win in terms of attracting folks to the workplace with this massive change that's going on. The really interesting thing that came out is companies being very clear on their purpose and their vision. And then more importantly, corporate real estate teams having a clear understanding of the purpose of workplace. And if those two things link together, they have the opportunity of not just being a place where people work and a place where people are expected to go every day, but become what people want them to be is the place that people want to go and place that people see high value and allows them to do things that they couldn't do anywhere else. I'm glad you brought that up because the purpose of workplace is a conversation that we have. And there's two phases to this that I see. There's the immediate pre-vaccine return to workplace purpose 
And then there's what happens after if there's a post-vaccine purpose, you know, how does it change? How does it work without amenities? What is the purpose of the workplace now? You know, how do you see that internal struggle working now? You make a good point, Brian. Pre-vaccine and post-vaccine thinking, I think, is resonating with folks because you don't want to make a huge investment now that you would undo later. Well, at the same time, you don't want people to come back to the workplace and the experience that they go there for, interacting with people, access to technology, conferencing, collaborating, and even the social aspect of work, which has become so important today. If that's not there, will people even want to come back? That's why the people are having patience with how we're going to come back. We're going to stage that as we come back and as things open up more and more, even that experience is going to change because we want them to come back on day two and day three, not just come back once and then go right back home. Those are the kind of things that I think we're going to be looking at. And those might change actually the workplace forever because a portion of this workforce will remain remote. We talk a lot in design about behaviors in space. I know that we might have touched on this a little bit in the roundtable, but the impact of this is going to change the way people interact with space. You know, do you see managing people's behavior when they come back in, trying to get them to adhere to these things? Like, what's the conflict and what's the real problem statement? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we don't, at BHDP, like to use the word manage relative to change or behavior. You know, we like to think about choice in a structure within which people can do the right thing because we believe place really does impact behavior and does drive results. I think the structure of the way that decision that you're talking about is going to change. One of the things that we're wrestling with as we summarize <laughs> this large data set from this big innovative conversation that we had at the roundtable is how will it change not just the corporate real estate function, but how we relate to other functions. You know, years ago, we did research at Cornet, which unveiled or revealed this idea of a super nucleus. And the super nucleus was about HR and IT and corporate real estate and legal and the business. You know, how do we all have a collective conversation around the workplace? I think the pandemic and people learning to work remotely and then coming back and having to deal with the issues of people's behavior and HR issues and technology and the way it works within the office and out, IT, right? How does the footprint change and how do we make adjustments to enable that to happen? And the legal ramifications of that is going to speed up the need to have that collective conversation or that nucleus within organizations because all of this is intertwined. I think Patrick's right, and Patrick's got a very good perspective on that long-term and kind of speaks to that long-term. The interesting thing about the roundtable is the behaviors that people were worried about in the short-term really had to do with hygiene and cleanliness. And then with that the social distancing piece that keeps coming up, will people actually respect the social distancing? Will they respect the rules that we set up? If we set up a system that we say, this room is clean and you need to take a sticker off of it to tell someone that you've used it. Those are the things that people are really trying to manage and they're concerned about in the short term from a behavioral standpoint. And then how do you deal with it if someone does come back to the office and they behave in such a way that they, they just don't care about the rules or they're not really on top of the rules? How do you police that? Who polices that? What happens in that situation? I, I mean, those are the 
the pieces that people are really struggling with. And since companies don't know how to manage the people aspect of it, they're just kind of going above and beyond with paneling and stickers and signage and anything that they can think of that may try and manage that, which I agree with Patrick. You can't really manage it. You have to lead it. We talked about monitoring before when you talk about cleanliness and such. And I know that we've worked with monitors that count occupancy in spaces so we can see how space is utilized. But then there's a new discussion around, well, what if we had air quality sensors Mm -hmm. that people could interact with? So you could come in with your phone and say, all right, the air quality is good for the day. Or you could also say, well, there's too many people in the lunch line. You know, I'm going to wait. So you can make informed decisions for your own personal safety based on your own comfort level. We have, I think that's right, Brian. We have clients that are working with our Avuity business, our sensor business, and they have those sensors and those programs in place. And tweaking or turning that sensor technology, I think, is going to be really important. I think the workplace is going to have to get smarter, and not just with people and behavior, but with technology. I wanted to ask one final question. Basically, in a nutshell, what are we doing with all this information, how does this relate to, you know, BHDP's knowledge community? And how do we turn this into research? What are we doing with it after this? What is this turning into? I don't know if Dominic, you wanted to tackle that one. We're trying to just capture the dialogue and the conversation and all the topics. Where everyone is within the journey is in different places. As we had these conversations with groups and we had this focus on place, very specifically the workplace, the dialogue spanned all sorts of different things from people and culture to change to operation strategies to technology issues, and then also to place and cleaning procedures. So we're trying to capture all of those different ideas into a single document that captures the conversation and allows people to continue the conversation the way that they see fit in their organization and abroad. We're trying to avoid being prescriptive. We're trying to avoid telling people what to do, but we want them to have the visibility of what other people are doing and thinking about. I agree, Dominic, and I think that's the the power of having these conversations, both listening, recording, and organizing the findings. And it's particularly suited, well-suited for BHDP to do that because when we design for people, it means we design with people. And so having an innovative way, and I think it was great to experience an innovative way of managing a very large conversation and having the right exercises and the right speakers to stimulate those conversations and organize them from the beginning, you know, with solutioning and questions and scenario planning and narratives was really invaluable to us to watch it unfold. And I think we're going to be capturing some learnings about the tools with which we do engagement that can make it a richer experience. And then I think our our goal also, Brian, is is to do a couple more podcasts. If we can get companies to want to come and talk about what they got out of the dialogue and let them share with people, here's what we learned or here's where we found the value in these dialogues. There's something really unique about these roundtables where we don't come in and say, we're the expert, you need to sit down and listen to us. It's much more, we want to know what you're thinking about. We want you to share with your peers and colleagues. And uh, it just seems to be a more enriching conversation where people are engaged more because they get something out of it and they can feed into it as well. So 
Any other points either of you want to make before we go? Brian, I really just want to thank all those who attended and gave us the value of their time. I want to thank Sarah and Deidre and Brian Yu and Chris Lapata, Daniel Lessing, the whole team of scribes that put all this information on a Miro board real time so that though this was a vast conversation, uh, we can sift, filter, and create some learnings. That's great. Dominic, final yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I agree, Patrick. I mean, I, I really appreciate everyone that's willing to spend their time with us in these conversations. It's so refreshing to be able to have a dialogue and have conversations with people. There's tons of value in that. Great. Thank you both for your time. Uh, Patrick, Dominic. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, for this episode on the resilient workplace and the impact of COVID-19 on the future of work. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.